I think I'm, I'm just going to change the podcast to explicit and then not worry about it. It's time for Loud Pipes. The podcast that brings you the best conversations relating to motorcycles, the riding experience, and other motoring adventures. Your host for this episode, Rich Warfield. Loud Pipes, episode 201. We've got a 450 update. Talk about some dirt riding. Dirt riding, that's what I'm trying to say. A little bike flipping, maybe an update on Superhawk. And then we're going to spend some time talking about what to carry on your bike in case of an emergency. And finally, at the end, on our pivot, we'll continue talking about my new hunting rifle. All right, the man you heard last week, longtime friend of the show, Chad, a.k.a. Boomer. What's up, man? What's going on, Rich? How are you? Are you uh, partaking with a beverage over there? I am. It's been a long day. I've done a lot of stuff with Toys for Tots today. We've been really busy. It's December. <laughs> it's kind of one of those things that I love doing. It it you see a lot of the stuff that we do, and it's just yeah, I'm ready for a beer tonight. And I'm having a shiner. What are you having? A shiner. The classic. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-mm. Now fair to say that's the most popular beer in your area. Is that yeah, probably. probably. I mean, <laughs> it's the Yingling of uh, Texas. No, even some of the Texas guys I know are drinking Yingling now. Nice. That's what I'm talking about. Uh huh. All right, an old favorite of mine from Sierra Nevada. This is the Celebration Fresh Hop IPA. Of course, of course. Oh, that was a good out. That's good. That's a little far away though. Mm. You'll finish that one, make it up later. Put that in the koozie. And then after the turn, I've got a Sam Adams winter lager. I've been drinking those nightly, um, I'll say. Nice. (laughs) All right, so topics for tonight. Had the 450 out over the weekend. Uh Uh-huh. How'd that go? It's been a minute. I haven't been on the street bike since Maggie Valley. I don't know if we talked about that, but. I'm having some housework done and where I typically put the bikes in the basement, I can't get them out because the deck was tore off and replaced. And then they're putting in like stonework and all kinds of things. So I could squeeze the 450 out and go dirt riding, but you know, getting a street bike out, you know, a whole different story. So yeah, I got the dirt bikes out, went to Carolina adventure world on Sunday, got John out. For the first time. The first time John's been on dirt, I think, in probably 10 years, it seems like. <laughs> and then uh, his nephew, Matthew, went with us. So it was Bryce mm-hmm. and I. And Cameron went down as well. He rode in a side-by-side with John. And then Matthew's got a Honda uh, 125, CRF 125. Mm-hmm. So I had a good time. Rode for probably four hours, five hours, give or take. So are you talking John from... John from Loud Pipes. That's right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Spider, you know, Silk and Spider Silk, Ryan Fool. Actually, John from Loud Pipes and now Canyon Chasers. No, Asphalt Chasers. Asphalt Chasers. Oh, my goodness. I was listening to Canyon Chasers earlier today. (laughs) Good podcast, too, but not the right one. I might have to listen to that. That's my sport, one of my sport bike fixes. Nice. But anyway, yeah, sorry. Asphaltchasers.com. That's John. Yeah. And Dave. 
but yeah, the riding was good. So I've put, I don't know if we're going to tally it all up tonight, but I think we talked in the previous show that bought the bike for two grand and I've spent at least another two grand, if not three with, you know, carburetor rebuild, new piston, new bearings, two new wheels, two new tires, you know, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) And on and on and on and all the tools, you know, I got a tire balancer. I bought a, a spoke torque wrench, which I've never had before. That's been cool because the new wheels, I didn't realize this new wheels, they have to break in. So the, Mm -hmm. the nipples for the spokes, they need time to seat in. So you ride it and then you're supposed to tighten them again and torque them. And then you ride it again. And it's like a 20 minute ride session each time. And then you, you slowly build that up. It's kind of like bedding in a new set of brakes, you know, you get them hot and you're going to heat cycle them and stuff like that. The, the spoke wheels are similar. They got to break in and you got to keep checking them. But yeah, so bike running pretty good. I, I did not never done any of that. Well, Skype hammer. That's you great. Think. Sorry. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, that's all right. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, I've <laughs> never heard of having to do that with spoke wheels. Yeah, ever. I didn't. I mean, I rode my KLR for, I don't know how many years. I never touched a spoke on it. So this is new for me. Torquing. Yeah. Your, uh, spokes. Okay. <laughs> well, it's, it's been a, it's been a time for wrenching then, I guess, because I finally got some time, went out on the, uh, super Hawk, decided I was going to hit some of the back roads, try to get myself used to riding two wheels again. Yep. And the back end just felt funny. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah, it just, it felt loose. There's no other way to explain it. I don't know if it was the, it was only like 48, 50 degrees that day. Mm-hmm. And it just, it just felt loose on that back end. So I took it easy. I rode down to the end of this road and I turned around and was coming back and I started getting flickering on my power. Uh-oh. Like lights would cut off, come back on, cut off, come back on. Was it still daylight? All or the was way it dark. Huh? Oh no, this was still daylight. Okay. It was right after work. It was actually just a quick little detour on my way home. And uh that's actually what got me thinking about what we're going to talk about here in a minute. But I was, I was on my way home and it kept doing this, kept doing this. I get it back to the house, let it cool off, let myself cool off. I decided I'm just going to have a drink. (laughs) I'll mess with it tomorrow. Went out to mess with it tomorrow. Put a voltmeter on it. You know, you first thing you do, check the battery. Right. Yeah. 12 and a half volts. Okay. Voltmeter's still out, seats off. Turn the key, go to hit the start button. Big loud click, everything is dead. Oops. Terminals were loose. <laughs> well, that's an easy fix, at least. Tightened up all the terminals, turn the key back, hit the start button. It runs like a champ. Good to go. Yeah. So there's there's something about the being able to work on that. Yep. 
whereas with the spider, the 300 cold cranking amp battery that we talked about the last time, or maybe that was on. That might've been on with John. Yeah. Might've been on with John when we were talking about the battery issues. It's now dead. I've just got to get a new battery put in it. It's barely starting with the 300 because it's just so cold. So, so what was the squishy feeling in the, the rear end? I don't know. I haven't checked the rear tire yet. I'll do it tomorrow. Uh, I haven't been, I haven't been on it. If it hasn't been raining, it's been 38 degrees. Now, and, aside from tire pressure, that is alloy wheels. If I remember. Yep. They're not, they're not spoked or anything. Okay. They're not spoked, but yeah, it's, they're, they're alloy wheels and I just, I'll check tire pressure. I'll check to make sure the back end's tight and bearings and all that. Yep. Yeah. Hmm. Well, yeah, it's a, it's amazing too. Like I think when I was back track riding, we probably talked about this on the show, but tires make a world of difference. And I guess I didn't, I probably knew this, but didn't realize it because it's been, it's been a minute since I've been in the dirt, but yeah, good tires make a world of difference in the dirt too. So the, the tires that came on the 450 were a set of Dunlop Geomax or something like that. So like a, like an intermediate terrain tire in the back. And Mm -hmm. I can't figure out what was on the front, but it has these weird knobs where they almost look like ice cleats. They're really narrow but they're really long. So you're thinking, okay, these are going to protrude into whatever surface you're riding. So I'm thinking, okay, these are good maybe for mud or something really soft where you're going to need the, the knobs of the tire to bite in. Well, in the hard packed clay of South Carolina, when it's dry, that front tire was a hot mess because there was so little tire actually touching the ground. So anyway, long story made short, I had replaced them with a set of Michelin uh, Starcross 6 intermediate, mm-hmm. like soft, soft slash medium compound. And man, just fantastic. <laughs> it's so much better. Um, yeah, I really can't wait to replace the tires on the Superhawk yeah. and put like Michelin Battle Axe. I think that's what I had in my concourse that I absolutely loved. I think that's a Bridgestone. The, the, is that a Bridgestone? I think so. Michelin would be like a pilot, pilot power or road, road something or other. The the GT Road 4 or something like that. Yeah, Road 4 would be a, a Michelin. Let me look that up real quick. I think Battle Axe is, is Bridgestone. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, the... Uh, I just... It's not quite as, it doesn't hug the way, and it doesn't hug the road the way my concourse did. Mm. And I'm wondering if that's not the year and a half I took off from not riding at all. And then going back to the, you know, three wheel. And now I'm on a 400 and 418 motorcycle yep. curb weight you know yeah battle axe is a that's a bridgestone brand i'll have to 
you know what? I'm going to have to make a trip up to the shop and ask them if they can tell me what I bought last time. Well, I used to be, well, I still am. I'm a fan of Dunlop. I like generally like things that are made in America, mm-hmm. but I just like on the VFR, I had bad luck with them as, in terms of the wear pattern. So the, so the grip and handling was phenomenal, but the wear pattern was strange. So I had the sport max, I think they were a Q3 plus originally. Mm-hmm. And the front tire had this strange cupping to it. And I kind of attributed it to like low tire pressure because I was doing a lot of tracking at the time. So, you know, I was putting them at like track temperature, but then doing like 300 miles on them. So I kind of was like, all right, that's my fault. So I bought the Road Smart 3s from Dunlop and they wore the same way, but now using more like street tire pressure. And they had the mm-hmm. same funny wear pattern to them. So those have been ditched and I got uh, Michelin. What are they? Pilot, Pilot Power 2, I think, 2CT, something like that. They're like a, a dual compound. So a harder silica base down the center of the tire and then softer compound on the edge for, for side grip. But it's the same ones that I, I use on the R6 when I tracked it. But I put them on the VFR. They've been wonderful in the wet, in the dry. They've been good. Hmm. So we'll see how they wear. If they don't wear funny <laughs> like the Dunlops, then you know, they'll be keepers. Yeah, that, maybe that's what I need to look into is those. Well, I guess first I need to, you know, check the tire pressure and check to make sure bolts are tight. Yep. That would probably be a you know a good thing to do first. Yeah, if it's feeling squirmy, I mean, you hope it's not like you know, bad bearings or something like that, or the axle's not tight. Yeah. I mean, the guy who I bought the bike from did a full up. I mean, he sent me pictures of where he's got tires pulled off and where he was polishing and things he replaced and bearings were replaced and that was fixed. And yeah, it's hopefully just soft, soft tire then. Yeah, we can hope. And you know, cold ground and yeah high wind day and everything just all in one. Yeah. Well, and the suspension might not be right for you either. It might be too soft. It might be. He did say that the uh, suspension hasn't been dialed in at all, Yeah, but it's felt fine up until, you know, until it got cold until it got cold. Any other, uh, tribulations on the bike or just, just that from the ride, just that, you know, the battery with the spider, I was, you were talking about tire pressure and all I could think of was when I first bought the spider, I didn't look into, there you are. It like froze up on me. It, it didn't, uh, it didn't handle the way John always talked about his handling. Yep. And I went, John, I'm what the heck, man, this thing just, it doesn't feel right. And he's like, well, it's just the way you're riding. You need to just go ahead and just get it broken. He didn't, he didn't bother to tell me to check the tire pressure. And I didn't even think to check the tire pressure because I just bought the damn bike. (laughs) So we get ready to take off for like that first long weekend on them. And, uh, I took it in for the thousand mile 
checkup and the guy come out there and he goes, did you put air in your tires? I was like, no, I haven't done shit. I wrote it. (laughs) I'm just riding it. (laughs) I am riding it. That's it. All I've done is ride it for like 850 miles. He goes, oh, well, you had 30 pounds of air in your front tires and almost 40 in your back. So we're going to lower those down. Oof. And tell me if that helps. And I mean, I pulled out of there and I was like, there we go. That's it. That's 15 pounds in the front and 28 in the rear. And that thing just, that's all it is. That's all it is for all that weight. I would not have guessed that. And that thing hugged the hugged corners. Like you wouldn't believe Mm. it was fantastic. It was much better. I was like, okay, John, now we're good. Now we're cooking. Yeah. So yeah, good tires, I guess are really do make a difference. And I know a lot of people get pretty brand specific. You know, some people are like, won't use Dunlops or they only use Dunlops. And I'm kind of all over the place. I find a tire that works and I kind of stick with it so that the Michelin two CT, for example, worked great on the R six. I used it on the street. I loved it on the track. I figured why not throw them on the VFR too? Yeah. Cool. So you want to, what do you want to do next? Do you want to talk about emergency stuff or we can talk a little bit about flipping and then we can go to that. You know what? Let's, let's do that emergency stuff. Cause like I said, that kind of going out on the bike that day, that really kind of started me thinking about this whole emergency. Okay. You know, let me give you an idea of where I was. I was about 28 minutes away from town on a back road in the middle of nowhere. Right. By myself. Had I decided to push it on the bike and gone into a ditch, what did I have on me that I could have kept myself one alive, two in one piece until somebody found me in the damn ditch? Yeah. Because my phone was in the bike. Right. And now not on your person, not on my person. You've been in a hellacious wreck. I mean, you work on, on the track, Yeah, but you get where I'm going with this. Yeah. You became separated from the bike. Yeah. We both have a friend of ours, Zion. He had a really nasty wreck. He went over a car separated from his bike. My friend Gary got, um, he didn't get teabagged by a deer. He got introduced to one by, uh, Did mean for, a short, for a short time, they both became, um, one in a very religious way and it completely totaled his bike. Like it was so bad. Had his wife not been there with him, he said he didn't think he would have lived. Ouch. Yeah. It was, you know, up there with Zion rated. Um, his wreck was actually bad enough. He's him and his wife have stopped riding because they both realized he's over 60. She's real close to it. They're like, yeah, we don't want to do this again. 
we can't do this again. And Gary has pretty much said, I don't think I'm going to walk away from the next one. So that's, I'm coming home and I'm running through my head. What do I have on my person that I could stop the flow of bleeding? What do I have? What's on me? Yeah. And I kind of went, it's all hell. It's all on the bike. It's all on the bike and I'm going to become separated from the bike. I've got to find something. Well, that's a great question slash topic because we'll get into it in a minute, but yeah, I carry some pretty substantial gear, but you're right. It's, it's in the top case or it's in the side bag or maybe it's in the tank bag, but still, if you're separated from the bike and the tank bag's not going to stay on my bike, it's on a, it's magnetic. So it's mm-hmm. going to be laying somewhere else. Even if you find the bike, you're not going to find that bag. So exactly. Yeah, that's a great point. How how much of that stuff do you want to keep like in your jacket, in your pants pocket, or you know, some kind of bag tethered to you somehow? That's a good that's a good idea. So that's where I started down and I lost a couple hours of sleep over this. It's not like I do a lot of sleeping anyway. But here's what I came up with. And it started it's starting with this. And it's an Alpine Stars racing. Almost like a fanny pack. Okay. Okay. It's got a waist strap on it. It's got a leg strap on it. And it goes, it's almost like a <clears throat> leg bag. So wait, and it, it goes looks ar- like it goes around the waist or it goes around like your thigh. Both. Oh, both. So it goes around the waist and it has a leg. So it's kind of, it has a leg strap. It's kind of like a holster that would have a leg strap for stability. Correct. But it's Alpine stars. So they make good motorcycle stuff. So that's where I started was I wanted something that's going to stay on me. Okay. Alpine stars. They've got a good reputation. My boots are Alpine stars. I've got a pair of Alpine stars gloves. I got a pair of tech three off-road boots. Love them. Yeah. So you open it up and it's got some fairly decent stuff in here, but I'm, I was like, okay, what kind of injuries are we looking at? We're going to have road rash, possible broken bones. If it's your spine or a TBI, you're not fixing it. There's nothing anyway. You're not, you're not doing anything with that anyway. You're, you're good. So you're going to focus on, I think I'm following where you're going now. So focus on the things that you could actually do something about. Like you Correct. could, you could self-administer a tourniquet if you haven't laid there that long, you know, rash, bleed road control, rash, yep. muscle, tendon, ligament damage, puncture damage, burns, which was one Jennifer actually pointed out to me. She goes, you're missing burns. Yes. And I went, uh, that's a good one. After that a is slide. a very good one. Yep. Yep. Not only that, but if the bike is laying on top of you, yep, you may have burns from the, from the exhaust. You, you're yep. going to have burns from the bike, and then the number one killer of all of this is shock. So, so you sit. What kind of medication, or or what would you have on your person for shock? One of those space blankets. Oh, like te- temperature the only thing control. you can do. The the only thing you can do for shock. Okay. Take a deep breath, calm the F down. 
keep yourself warm. warm, get your feet, ec- get your feet ec- elevated. Yep. You know, the same stuff they teach you in the first aid classes and all that. But it was like, okay, so I need a couple of splints. I'm, I'm scoping out a kit here now. Yeah. Well, I went and this was the only thing I had to order. The only thing I had to order that I didn't have laying around in my. Those the Sammies? Which one are those? Uh, they're actually made by Rhino. It says Rhino Rescue. It was a 36-inch splint. But it's like, let me see. Bring it more towards the camera. Oh, okay. It's flat. I have it's one like that that's flat. rolled. Yeah. That's the Sammy. Okay. This one was folded flat. That's why I got it. Oh, that's great. So it can actually go into that bag. Then you throw in your burn gel that you showed me tonight. That burn tech. Yep. Yeah, the burn tech. Got that right here. Yep. So now you've got burn covered. You've got gauze for road rash or anything else. And you're only doing this just to stabilize yourself until EMS can get there. Right. You're keeping stuff on you. You're keeping your, you're keeping warm. Then you have to look at, all right, where am I at? Is it winter? Is it summer? Do I need to worry about fluids? Do I need to worry about the cold? Hey, guess what? You'll be fine for three hours. You should be okay. Now, what about communications? A lot of us put our cell phones sitting right there yep. on the bike. Yep. On we're the using bars. it for GPS. Yep. We're using it for GPS. We're using it for music. We're doing this. We're doing that. And that's where I started thinking about what John used to carry. And I don't know if John still does, but he used to carry an in-reach spot. I think he still does. Yeah. Yeah. He, he either uses a spot, a spot or a gar- or some Garmin device. Yeah. That's the in-reach. Yeah. Garmin is the in-reach and spot is the cheaper one of the two. So the in-reach unit was like $349 plus $29 a month or something like that a month because it's a satellite communicator. Right. The in-reach was Black Friday. It was $99 plus $11 a month. Yep. And I went, well, if you took the in-reach and you stuck it inside your jacket pocket, you had the other stuff on your leg in that Alpine stars pouch, you should, in all theory, unless it's just that day that, you know, the entire world hates you and Mm -hmm. your bag is now laying somewhere over there by your bike or underneath your bike and you've broken both of your legs, you know? Well, those communicators though, they, what, what triggers them? I guess, is it, you have to manually trigger them. Okay, so they're not going to go off if it's like a G-force impact or something like that, or if you don't Mm -hmm. move for three hours. No, you have to physically hit the button. But people can follow you, though, right? It's like you can have people back at home watching, and it's like, oh, he's on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And in my case, Jennifer can go, wait a minute, Chad's not home from work. It's 4 o'clock in the afternoon. Yeah. He said he was going to go for the long way home. Where did he decide to go? Oklahoma. Let me check where his 
inReach is. Let me check where. And of course, that was the other thing I did to my bike. I put a uh, um an air tag on it. Hmm. I hid an air tag up underneath in the Superhawk subframe. There you go. It's low cost GPS tracker. Yep. But she now can, you know, we can both look and see where my bike is. If there's a problem, she can track down where I'm at. Yeah. If there's some reason I haven't contacted her, she knows where my bike is. Yeah. Well, not GPS. You got to have an iPhone user passing by. Yeah. So they don't, they don't communicate with anything other than other devices. So as long as it's a populated area, yeah, then it, yep, the location is updating. But but if my phone is on the bike and it's not moving and the AirTag is right there next to it and it's not moving, right? she now knows there's a problem. Right. Yeah, versus, I don't know, if you lost your phone, for example, the, or if the bike got stolen, the tag's still moving and your phone's not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I get you. But that that's the idea too with the spot and the Garmin though, is somebody could still follow that. You know, I'm I'm not saying they would get an alert, but they could still look at it. Like you said, they kind of know where you're going. Oh, you know, Chad said he's going to, you know, let's say we, we meet up for um, the MotoGP race. It's like mm-hmm. we're riding down to Coda and she's following the location. It's like, oh, they must've stopped for lunch. Four hours later, you still haven't moved. It's like, okay, that's a pretty long lunch at this point. You know, you're there's there's a problem. Probably something call going on. Yeah, let's let's investigate. But yeah, that's that's exactly it. And it was like, okay, so for a small amount of insurance, yeah. And let's face it, dude, we're not getting younger. No. No. Well, in your comment earlier, that's that's where I arrived at with the track days is it was fun. I had a great time doing it for, you know, four years, four seasons, but you know, I don't want to do that recovery again beyond 50. You know, it was, it was bad enough at 48. Like I can't imagine doing that recovery if I'm like 55 uh, no, you that, know, or 58. Yeah. That, that has been my hesitation about getting back into the dojo is okay. I understand our friend who said, Hey, you're not running yet when you can run a half a mile, not, you know, be out of breath or anything like that. Take the cardio completely out of it. When you can physically run a half a mile and your knee doesn't hurt, yep. you can go back to doing martial arts until then you need to be doing these exercises. I'm going to give you and do those. Gotta listen. Don't mess around. Don't mess around. You're 47 years old. Pay attention to your body. Yep. And the idea of going back into the martial arts dojo and getting a shoulder popped or oh. something like that. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm just like, Ugh. you know, I had a toe that I broke on somebody's knee that it got to the point where they had said, look, if you don't take six or eight weeks off to allow this to heal, and wear a pair of heavy boots. Yep. <laughs> we're good. We're just going to cut the toe off. It's oh. your middle toe. <laughs> oh yeah. It was dude. I didn't tell you about that. <laughs> no. 
<laughs> yeah, I went and got an x-ray after it had been, I had broken the toe. And I guess I was, I just kept moving, kept re-breaking it. And it wasn't healing. Oh, man. And I, I finally, I went to the, I went to minor ER and I was like, I need an x-ray of my foot. I think I broke my toe like six months ago and it's not healing. And the doctor looked at me and went, are you, are you okay? <laughs> and I went, I just need an x-ray of my foot. She x-rayed my foot. She come back. She goes, yeah, you broke your toe. Oh man. It should have been healed about four months ago. Oh my. <laughs> Here's what I'm going to tell you to do. Whatever you're doing, stop. <laughs> Cause if you don't, uh, it's not going to heal and they're just going to cut it off. Oh man. That's harsh. I was, I was like, got it. So take two months off from martial arts. She went, yes, six weeks, no martial arts. And then I went stir crazy because I couldn't do martial arts. I couldn't ride the motorcycle. I couldn't do, there was a just list of crap I couldn't do. And this thing with the knee surgery, I'm just like, I'm 47 years old, man. Yeah. Got to stop that. Yeah. So that's, that's a good one. I, I think we need to do this. Like let's offline, let's try to work up a couple of kits because I've, I've got a similar bag. You remember the one that I showed you? Yeah. yeah. It's right here. The law it's from vertex. It's the long walks. Something or other. Mm-hmm. What is it called? I got the link right here. Long walks, multi-purpose, and I've got it in kind of OD green setup. Yeah, but About the only thing missing is some kind of patch on the front to go. Hey, look, I'm not a gun, a gun carrier. Well, yeah. it's multi-purpose. Come on now, it is multi-purpose. I have one of those too. Mine's in my bedroom. Yeah, probably we, with a Glock 26 in it. We talked before what what it was purchased for. But as you were talking about the motorcycle kit, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, this is going to become partially the, the trauma kit for mm-hmm. the bike rides. And I'm going to just keep it under the jacket. I'll, I'll probably maybe still carry the big kit in the, the tour pack, but yeah, something that I can have right around my waist and, and be, you know, self-administered, should should that need arise yeah that's all i could think of was if i get thrown from the bike i'm fucked sorry you'll have to beep that one out (laughs) i think i'm I'm just gonna change the podcast to explicit and then not worry about it okay yeah i mean any of us would be effed yeah well, here, here's another question. This this is the one that gets overlooked all the time. Mm-hmm. Training. So you may know how to do this on another person. Do you know how to do it on yourself? Like you can happen upon another rider who needs help and you may be able to uh, apply a bandage or some wound dressing or even a tourniquet. Can you do that on yourself under stress? That's the training I'm talking about. Yes. Oh, I do have that training. All right. Yes, I can't well, good for that. you. That's what I'm saying. But as part of building this kit, it's not just the, it's not just the stuff, right? We need to have the knowledge and we need to practice it just like anything you want to be good at. 
so that when you do have that, you're not, it's not a stressful situation. You just reach for the bag and you're like, oh, I'm bleeding. I need a, I need a bandage. You know what I mean? Or, or bleeding really bad. Yeah, I, I need a tourniquet, you know, like, <laughs> let me try to put okay, a splint so on. I've, my leg looks like it's broken. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a puncture wound on my thigh. What should I do? I need to throw a tourniquet on here and then I need to shove gauze into the hole right. until it stops. Then I can call 911 and say, help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And you reach up for your spot and hit the button or whatever your device is. and Reach into your coat, you pull the spot out, you hit the little help me. Yeah. And then you lay back and wait for emergency. Yeah, it's, it's a good point. And I, while mine was a, a track incident, had that happened on the street, I don't know. I, I would have needed someone to get home, I think, because I, I don't think I could have ridden off in that condition. Mm-hmm. But I don't know that there's anything I needed to do to keep myself other than, you know, have some comms, have, you know, a way to keep warm and calm and stuff like that. I'm, I'm going to add some pain meds to my list here, maybe a couple of different types of pain medication or things like that. And, and certainly if, if you have any prescription medication, you probably ought to put some of that in there too. You know, if you're carrying yeah. heart pills or anything for diabetic or anything like that, you probably should have it in that bag too. Or at least close enough where you can get to it after you've stabilized yourself. Yeah. Cause I know there's certain diabetic medication, the, um, what am I thinking? The, the stuff that has to stay cold in your glucose insulin? or whatever insulin. Yeah. It's been a really long day. Need more celebration. <laughs> I'll get another one popped open here in a minute, but yeah, um, that insulin, that stuff is, you got to watch that, which means if you're carrying insulin on you, you're carrying a little micro cooler on your bike. Yeah. And I, you know, I'm not intending to cover all the scenarios. I'm just saying each person's kind of got to self-evaluate and decide if you're on regular medication. Mm-hmm. You probably ought to have it, you know, in that bag on your person. Because think about this. If you have medication you have to take like twice a day and you're separated from the bike and you can't move. If you're in some of these backwoods places, you might be there a day. Yeah, I was, I was, that was actually something I was thinking about earlier today. Actually, I was sitting on the couch going over the notes. Um, and I was like, you get separated from the bike. How far away, how long would it take EMS to get to you? Right. What's, what's your worst case scenario? And a lot of people sit back and they go, oh, well, the fire department is, you know, X amount of miles away. Right. I didn't ask you where the fire department was. I asked you how long would it take them to get to you if you were in the middle of nowhere? Right. And then is there cell phones? It was the lack of cell phone signal. Remember John was talking about that up in the mountains? Yep. Yeah, we lost cell signal. We couldn't communicate with anybody. Uh, we had nothing. Yep. GPS was completely dead. I was going roughly by the seat of my pants and memory. Well, think about this situation too. Private property. Yeah. I think about this all the time with the the land that we bought this summer. It's 
you know, it's not that big, but it's, it's 17 acres. It's enough that if I'm up there, chances are the people in the area may not know that we're there. You know what I mean? So other than my wife, maybe who stays behind, if something happens up there, no one knows you're there. No. So now you're not talking about crashing. And and this went through my mind when Bryce had an accident over the summer, he got his bike stuck. We reached down to get the bike out of the mud. The bike rolled back. His finger was in between the chain and the sprocket and it ripped the nail bed out. Like it ripped his nail out of the bed from the backside. Just a gnarly, gnarly Mm -hmm. cut. And it was bleeding quite a bit. So that was one of the first times I used one of my first aid kits. So grabbed it, cleaned it up, wrapped it up. We dropped the trailer, jumped in the Jeep, you know, took him off to the ER. It turned out to be fine, but that just got me thinking like, holy cow, if something happens back here, I need to have some sort of comms because the people in the area may not even know that we're there because we only go up every once in a great while. You know, it's not like we live there. So that's another yeah. thing we got to plan out. Yeah. My in-laws actually, um, my, my father-in-law was pretty funny. I, I love the guy to death. He, he just, he made me laugh over this. He goes, so you'd be proud of me. We have a first aid kit now. Mm. And I looked at him. I went, Oh, cool. <laughs> what kind of first aid kit? And he goes, well, it was one that we bought at CVS. And I was like, Oh, all right, we'll keep the yeah. bag and dump everything else out. <laughs> no, it was in the box. And I went, what happened? And he goes, so we were out there on the back side of the par- property out there at the ranch in West Texas. And he fell down into the ditch. Oh. <laughs> and my mother-in-law went to help him out. And when she reached down to grab a hold of him, she fell head first. Oh man. Fell down <laughs> into the ditch too. They were both stuck in the ditch for just trying to climb out of it. Oh and my. Of course they're both in their late sixties, early seventies. And it was like, okay. Yeah. You need some comms. You guys, where was your cell phones? Well, back in the car. I think, yeah, actually they were, they right. were in the car. Yep. I was like, okay, you need to make sure you keep your cell phone on you. All right. We need to get a better first aid kit out here. I'll bring some stuff. All right. So we got quick clot. We've got a tourniquet. We've got chest seals. We've got this. We've got this. We've got this. Do you guys know how to use all this stuff? And they went. They're like, what is that stuff again? No. Okay. Class time. Let's go over this. Yeah, we'll figure it out. Okay. Well, it's here. Right here. Well, that's another good point with the training. Like, I don't, how do I want to say this? I don't want to say you can never get too much training, but what, what level do you think you would need to be competent? Like, take, for example, putting a tourniquet on yourself. Okay. You know, that type of thing. How much time do you think that takes in repetition and things like that? My, well, he's 17 now. I taught my 
12-year-old, well, he was 12 at the time, how to use a tourniquet. And it was pretty funny because the cat tourniquet actually didn't go tight enough around his arm. Yeah. So we had to look into other ones. And I'm still up in the air. I'm not quite sure I agree or disagree with them, but the, uh, the rats and I taught him how to use the rats and I taught him how to use the cat tourniquet and anybody who wants to look these up, they're more than welcome to it's spelt R A T S for rats. The cat tourniquet is made by North American rescue. It's the only one I suggest. And yes, they're expensive and they're worth every damn penny. Yeah. I've seen, said. I've seen some pretty cool tests where, People have tried the the inexpensive ones that come in your your multi kits and things like that, and they just break. Like either the straps break, or they don't get tight enough to actually get to stop blood flow, and or the handles break. It's usually the the handles will break on the cheap knockoffs. Yeah, that you put on and you go, oh, I'll tighten this down, and you go to tighten it down, and it falls apart in your hand. The Velcro comes undone, and I yeah. mean, just well and. We say they're expensive, but let's be honest. They're like $25. Yeah. They're, it's like, they're, is, they're, is saving your life not worth $25? It's the same argument you have with a helmet. There's a reason you don't buy the novelty helmet, you know, off the sale rack. I mean, you get a, you get a good helmet. I'm not saying you got to buy a thousand dollar race helmet. I'm just saying you need to get a quality helmet. You and I both are on the same page about helmets, and that would be, you know what, they can pass a law that says, you know, helmets are mandatory, and you and I would be like, oh, doesn't bother me any, I'm still wearing a effing yeah, helmet. That's right. I go, I go more than 50 feet from my house, and I've got a helmet on my head, and I mean, that's all there is to it. But yeah, I, I will occasionally, in fact, I haven't done it in a couple of months, I will grab a training tourniquet that I've got around here which is just, it's just an old tourniquet and I'll just pick it up and I'll go, Hey, Colin, bang, you've been shot. It's in your thigh. Put that on and I'll throw it to him. Oh, by the way, you've got 10 seconds and I'll stand there and time him and he can put a tourniquet on and throw it on and tighten it down. Nice. We actually went to... It wasn't a gun show. It was something where they had one of the medical people there. I think it was one of the the ranges had an open house and I took him with me and they were talking about tourniquets and he picked it up and he goes, can I put this on? And he goes, well, let me show you how to use it. And he like right there in front of everybody in this range, he like slaps it on his arm, tightens it down and then spins it about five times. And he goes, there you go. It's locked in place. You want to check to see if there's a pulse? He could be such such an arrogant little turd sometimes. I got got a healthy dose of that around here, too. Mm Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that that was pretty much it. It was like, hey, look, I hate to tell you this, kid. Nobody's coming to save you. You better know how to use this stuff. Yeah, that's the the thing. And and I think you probably helped me with this a couple years ago when I first started getting a little more serious about being self-sufficient. And initially I looked at it and I'm like, this all seems unnecessary. This is way more stuff that I'm ever going to need. But then when you start to break down the things that could happen, you realize, okay, yeah, this, 
this could happen very likely. And this is, this is going to potentially going to save your life. Mm -hmm. So, well, go ahead. No, I'm just going to say, I need, I need hands-on training now. So I've, I've done a lot of theoretical training in terms of reading and, you know, watching videos and things like that, but I need to put it into practice. I need a, a good like boot camp for first aid, if you know what I mean, where you can, you know, get, get in there and use all the gear and in a simulated situation. And that's what I need I to can, do next. Okay. So what you want to look for and you can take Bryce, you could actually do it. Like, you know, Hey, look, I'm taking the kid to a first aid class. That's how you sell it to the wife. We're going to go take a first aid class. And it will be. Only it's probably going to be called a stop the bleed class. Right, right. And it's a little bit higher up on your list of stuff. It's you'll learn about the whole do chest compressions and this is what you do when somebody does, you know, is choking and, you know, the usual workplace, you know, first aid, American Red Cross thing. But then they add in all the extra stuff to go with it. That's what I would look for is I would look for a stop the bleed and look for one that goes by the T triple C gotcha. standards, which sorry, I don't remember what the T triple C is. It's like the tactical. There was a, there was a book that you had me get a couple of years ago too. That's been pretty eye opening as well. Yeah, it's tactical combat casualty care. That's it. And as much as we all hate war and everything else, it does teach us a lot when it comes to medical. So, well, and taking care of yourself when there's nobody coming for you. Mm hmm. All right. Well, I think, yeah, we, we need to follow up on this. So let's. I think you and I should make a, each make a kit. Okay. So I'll use my, my long walks vertex bag. You use that Alpine stars bag mm -hmm. and we'll take the stuff we talked about, assemble a kit, see how it all fits, wear it around a little bit, put your other items in said bag that you may be carrying with you and see how it all works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, it sounds like a good idea and who knows, we get some feedback from everybody else. Look, if you think we've missed something, if you think we're wrong, by all means, send us an email. We'll be glad to talk about it. Yeah, we didn't cover it in the last show, but obviously the show took a little bit of a hiatus here, but. We still have our contact methods. You can reach us on email at feedback at rdubstudios.com. Or if you're on our website, loudpipes.net, there's a, a contact link and there's just a little basic web form in there. You don't even need to provide any information. It has an email field, of course, which can be bogus, but you can just put your name and message in there and, and send it. You don't have to have anything fancy for that. And that's loudpipes.net slash contact. All right. What else? Anything on the, anything else on the gear? What else would you no. carry on your person besides medical? Like what, what would you want to have in case you were separated from the bike in an incident? Well, I, this is just me. And that is that spot 
and then my Glock. Or Would I you have a, any any food water type rations in there? Well, the problem you have with that is now you're carrying all this crap on you and you can't actually enjoy your ride. The idea of being able to stabilize yourself to crawl back over to your bike, be able to get a bottle of water or maybe have, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not talking about like a six pack. I'm just saying like, you know, (laughs) maybe a, a protein bar or two and like a small, like a small eight ounce bottle of water. Cause you might, you might need that for medical care. You you might right. maybe keeping something like that on the bike just to be able to get back to it might be a good idea. But I'm thinking you know, in the pouch. I'm thinking I'm little one of those little mini chug bottles in the pouch because that's how I use mine when we go up to the property. Is I put I put a couple snacks in there, a small bottle of water, you know, utility knife, whatever else I'm carrying, and just stuff it all in there. Oh, huh. and it's grab and okay. go. I got it's all around my waist. I mean, that's, it's really not a bad idea. The kids make fun of me. They're like, dad, you're wearing a fanny pack. I'm like, eh, yeah, it's going to save your life. So shut up. <laughs> or when you reach in there and you pull out a thing of trail mix and you go, hmm, this is so good. Yeah. What do you got on you to eat? We've been tromping oh. around in the woods out here for an hour. This tastes really good. And you know what? I have a bottle of water in here. Oh, look, I have some electrolyte powder I can drop in there. Oh, this is fantastic. What do you have on you with your shorts and flip-flops? Anything? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there is that. But that's also one of the things you have to watch out for. I'm notorious for it. And that is, oh, if two rolls of gauze are good. Oh, geez. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I know where you're going. I, I carry one spare magazine for my gun, but you know, maybe two more might not be a bad idea. Got more room in my pocket. I could probably put another one in here. I could throw another magazine in here and I could throw another tourniquet in my back pocket. <laughs> yeah, I'm <laughs> awful. And then you realize <laughs> when you get to where you're going, you realize you have, you know, eight magazines and five tourniquets. Yeah. We came back from the, we came back from Maggie Valley (laughs) and I started unpacking stuff and I had, you know, I knew what had been used and what hadn't and nothing in the toolkit had been touched. Yep. (laughs) None of it. And I was like, why did I carry this 20 pound bag of tools? Nothing got Mm -hmm. used. And then the little voice on my shoulder went, yeah, but if it had, you'd have been ready. Yep. Oh, it's funny. Well, we do that with the dirt riding and the track days too. You load up all this stuff in the Jeep and the trailer, and then you get there and set up and almost every time you come home and you're like, okay, well, we didn't use that. We didn't use that. Maybe uh, leave it home next time. Yep. All right. Well, uh, let's see. Let's revisit this in what? Two weeks? Yeah, a couple of weeks. I'm going to have, I guess, a little uh, future show preview. I'm going to have a conversation with, with Brother Bacon next Friday. Um, I don't know when we'll release it, but sometime in December. We're going to talk about trials, bikes, and things like that. And then somewhere in there, we've, cool. got, to, we've got to get back to the, the show with Alan and Sully about track day riding and, you know, my crash. And Alan had a crash riding 
in the dirt, you know, spoiler alert, he had surgery as well. So we've got a lot to catch up with here pretty soon. Yeah, no doubt. I didn't know Alan had, uh, Alan had gone down. The very first time the four of us went out on the dirt bikes. So we were down at Ennery, South Carolina. Um, Sully had his little 230, the CRF 230. I think it was a 230. Um, Alan had his Honda, what is it? CRF 300L, the rally version. I had the 450, which didn't want to start, which was a real pain in the ass. And Bryce on his 140. And of course, we're ripping through the trails and all of a sudden, Alan goes left and runs into a berm, like mm. twists his foot and just breaks his ankle. It was like the most freak accident you've ever seen. So yeah, broken ankle. He's had surgery on it. He's got rods, you know, or not rods. He got two pieces of metal in his leg. So it broke, looks like it broke both bones in the foot or in the, the leg there, right above the ankle. That's not good. That's, that's a tib fib. You're talking about a tib fib fracture, right? If I remember, I think it's, it may only be the small bone. I have to go back and look at the pictures, but I thought it was both of them because there's like two metal plates in there with screws. That's gnarly because that's one of the things that we teach in, uh, Hapkido is that if you can throw a, a roundhouse kick into somebody. Yeah. Just above the ankle, right there. It's all over. They'll, yeah, they'll walk with a permanent limp for the rest of their life. Yeah, I thought, I thought my track day crash was gnarly with the, the surgeries that I had. But after seeing the hardware he ended up with, I'm like, man, I didn't have anything. Yeah, no doubt. I didn't. Yeah, get that'll any hardware. That, that'll be interesting to hear. I'd like to hear his, uh, his thoughts on that. Yeah. And that's fresh too. That's this is about a month and a half old. So, ouch. But yeah, that's the plan. I'm still trying to get the four of us together: Alan, Sully, Bryce, and I, uh, maybe Cameron as well. And just scheduling, man. Just trying to get things lined up and get everybody together and make it happen. Mm. Kind of what happened to the podcast the first time, right? Scheduling. Yeah. You and I can get together almost every week, which I I hope we do going forward, but getting four people together is much harder. Yeah. The the minute you start talking about more than four people, I mean, we had that discussion before you got four people on a ride. That's a perfect amount of people. Yeah. One more and it just, everything starts to fall to absolute crap. Yep. Yep. All right, let's see. Uh, I got a quick update on flipping, and then I think we'll do our pivot here. Yeah. So Bryce and I have wanted to start kind of like a little flipping business. So pick up pick up some inexpensive bikes that maybe need some work or maybe need a lot of work for a big project. And then, you know, maybe ride them a little bit, turn around and sell them. So to get things going, we're going to offload a few things that are in the basement because there's few too many here now and Bryce is ready for an upgrade. So that's the first thing. His KLX 140 RL is up for sale. That's a 2022 that we Mm -hmm. bought. We bought brand new and it's going to get new tires on it here this week and a chain. And that's up for sale. I think three grand is what 
we settled on for that one. And then Fat sells, then he wants a 250, which I'm not going to let him ride, but we will get him something else because he doesn't need a 250 motocross bike just yet. He's he's nuts fast on the 140, so I've got to find something in between the 140 and the race bike because it's hard. There's not a lot of stuff in the middle unless you do like an older two-stroke or something, but I mean, Honda do makes... Really, huh? Do you really want him on a two... Did you hear me? No. Yeah, say uh, it again. I said, did you, do you really... Do you really want him on a two-stroke? Well, if it's like a one-two-five, I don't think it'll be, be that bad, especially an older one. Yeah, I guess so. So in the middle, like Honda makes a 150 race bike. So it's got, mm-hmm. you know, much beefier suspension than the 140. And it's probably double the horsepower. It's in the 20s, I think, for horsepower. But it's not a 250. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He doesn't need 40 horsepower, you know, <laughs> in anything at the moment because he's blowing my doors off with his 9 or 10 horsepower, whatever's in the 140. So. I like the 150, you know, Honda's, uh, race bike 150 is a good option, but it's still a kind of a small chassis and I don't know how long that's going to last for him. You know, if he grows a lot, then it's, it's going to look silly. How old is he? Just turned 15. Oh yeah. He's still going to grow. Yeah. So this is only the next bike is still only a couple of years at best, but Mm -hmm. I just, I, I don't want him to jump from the 140 right to that, you know, rip snort and 250. But fair enough. We'll see. We'll sell it first and then we'll see what's out there. So that one's up for sale. And then I'm also going to sell the old R6. Um, that one's up. I haven't posted it yet, but probably sell that for about the same, maybe three grand or so. We've been having fun putting it back to a street bike. We actually 3D printed new uh, turn signal lenses for it because we couldn't find anything that would fit and be nice and small and tidy. So mm-hmm. we just measured it, made a model, a 3D model in Blender, and printed it out on the 3D printer. And we used um, orange translucent filament. And it looks like, it's like the perfect amber for a turn signal. It's awesome. That's fantastic. So I'll have to get a picture of that and send it to you and we can put it in the show notes as well. Definitely. And the third one up for sale while we're on the uh, marketing tip here <laughs> and my brother Kenny's uh, Victory Vegas uh, 2014 real low miles looking for about six grand on that one. That's on Facebook Marketplace as we speak. Nice. And we'll see. That's got brand new tires on it as well. Dunlop. Victor- Victories are good bikes. It's a good bike. I'd like to have it, but I'm uh I want to be a single man if I have any more bikes in the basement. <laughs> Until you get rid of some. Yeah, at the moment. Let's see what's down there. VFR, Kenny's Vegas, Bryce's 140, my 450, and the R6. So there's five. Yeah, you're probably gonna need to uh 
get rid of some bikes. Yeah. Five bikes, two riders. Mm. <laughs> the math doesn't add up there. Yeah. And he's not even riding on the street. So. All right. Well, let me give a couple of reminders here and then we can pivot just a little bit as we talked mm-hmm. about in the last episode. Just a quick reminder. We, we do this podcast mostly for fun. It's not really a business for us, but there are real costs as one might expect web hosting and audio processing and things like that. So we just work on a simple value for value exchange. If you get some value out of the podcast and you want to return it, you can go to loudpipes.net slash donate. There's a little PayPal link there. We would appreciate that very much. And we haven't talked too much about the medical kits, but we also have an affiliate link there for Refuge Medical. That's the medical kits that I use. I've got the BearFact 3.0 that stays either in my range bag or goes with me um, on the motorcycle. And then I have the travel kit, which is on the headrest of the Jeep. So that's with me all the time. Just a slightly smaller version of the bear fact. It's got all the good stuff in there. Your chest seals, wound packing, tourniquet, shears, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So good stuff there. There's a link on that donate page for that. If you want to check them out. And like I said, that is an affiliate link. We'll get a small piece of that as well. And we mentioned earlier feedback. So we're, we're always looking for feedback and ideas. If there's something that you want to hear or a topic you want us to cover, or you just want to tell us how good we are or how much we suck, we'll take those too. And that's uh, <laughs> feedback at rdubstudios.com or loudpipes.net slash donate. Looking forward to getting some chatter going here as well. All right, Boomer. Too close for missiles, switching the guns. Switch the guns. Let's do it. I need a sound I'm effect ready. for that, don't I? Yeah, we need to figure something out. I need something like, I don't know, maybe like a cross between like Top Gun and some automatic fire or something. We can hook that up, I think. I think we could maybe get like the uh, sounds from the Iron Dome going off. In <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah, we'd like an air raid siren and some explosions and some some AKs in the background. Oh, there we go. Good fun. Yeah, so last episode we talked a little bit about a new hunting rifle. So we talked that I have a, a Marlin 3030, which I got my first deer with when I was young. I still have that, still love it. I would hunt with it today if I needed to. But the ammo is hard to find. I'm not a I'm not a hand loader yet. It's a topic for another day. And I figured it's time for something different, maybe something a little more modern. And I I've drooled over a bunch of different rifles over the the last couple of years. And we talked about the Ruger SFAR and that's semi-automatic, maybe not the best choice for for hunting. And then you brought up the scout rifle, which Oops, based on some material we found, not only is a fantastic scout rifle for its intended purpose, but may also be a good hunting rifle. So yeah, let's start there. Yeah, so I got introduced to the scout rifle. God, maybe it's been 20, 30 years. I think I was just out of the military, and you would see these guys that would sporterize Mosin Nagant's. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Mm, no, but I'm going to look it up while you talk. Okay, it's a 7.62 by 54R. It's roughly 
same size as a 30-06, but they would cut the barrels down to like 18 inches, 20 inches long. And they would do what's called sporterize them. They would put a different stock on it, and it would have a forward-mounted optic. That was like the number one thing. You put a forward-mounted optic. Forward-mounted optic means instead of having your optic mounted to the receiver, just above where the bolt is, it's mounted forward of the receiver. I mean, it's kind of, you know, simple English. So it's out over the barrel at that point. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And I went ahead and I pulled mine out of the safe. Um, it is cleared. It's empty. There's no ammo for it. The ammo is all locked up. But I run a Ruger gunsight scout and I have for Let me see it. hunting for a while. It's an audio podcast, but I get to see it. All right. Synthetic 16 inch. Uh, black synthetic stock, 16 and a half inch barrel. I'm running a Vortex 2 to 7 optic on it. 2 to 7 by 32 long eye relief scope. Uh, Let me see again. How far forward is that? Let me just take a look for comparison. Okay. So if I look so. at the. If I look at the opening of the bolt, the back part of the scope maybe crosses over about an inch, fair to say? Correct. Maybe an inch. Okay. So the top of the bolt opening, it just comes over that about an inch. Yeah, that's definitely forward. Now, this was an idea that was brought up, again, decades ago by Colonel Jeff Cooper, and he called the scout rifle the ultimate rifle it was the one that you could keep in your safe and it would do everything it could take in 308 it could take every game in north america it could be used as a self-defense weapon the whole nine yards you put a 10 round magazine on it you carried multiple magazines and you could carry another magazine in your back pocket it was good to go mine is set up a little bit differently i've got you know the standard forward mounted optic it's a stainless finish on the receiver and and the barrel i'm running a andy's leather uh ching slang on it which by the way if you decide to get one of these yeah you want the sling oh i like that that's like what's on my marlin a little bit mine's a little bit wider it's got the loop right there in the front where you lock your left hand. Well, for you, it'd be your right hand yep. into it. Yeah. And then you bring it up and it's perfectly stabilized. That bolt is quite long. Is that stock? Yeah. Cause I'm just looking at how far that comes down. Like when you're just holding it with your, your finger forward of the, the trigger. Yeah. It, it it's, it's like in the trigger guard. It's so low. No, it looks like it. It looks like it it's is. It's not. Okay. It's not. From the camera, it looks like the the end of the bolt is overlapping the trigger guard. I'm like, well, wait a minute. That's going to impede you getting to the dang trigger. <laughs> no, it it is oversized, but it's oversized for a reason. Because, you, again, does it's it a stick utility out? rifle. Does it stick no. out to the side? It's, or is no. it straight down? It's straight down. Okay. Mine, I took the flash hider off. I've just got a thread protector on it because I hunt with a suppressor. 
and I'm running a Jaeger 30 caliber can. Nice. Mm-hmm. I've got 308 subsonic loads. I've got 168 grain, you know, precision ammo. Boat tails. Yeah, the <laughs> like on. they're precise lots. I've got 175 grain thumpers for when I'm hog hunting. It's nice. got you have a multitude of rounds that you can type put in there in 308. Now, have you weighed yours? And I, I want to talk about the the requirements from Colonel Cooper as well, but have you weighed yours? Do you know what it weighs? No. Here's what I know. But it feels I, light to you? It feels light and maneuverable? Even with the suppressor on it, with which is why I went with a 16-inch barrel. Right. Same. That's what I'm thinking is because I have suppressor on it as well. I don't, I don't want an 18 or 20 inch barrel and then another, you know, five inch suppressor, you know, or six. Exactly. Yeah. Which is, that's why I went with that. But I like a scout rifle. It's great for snapshots. It's perfect for hog hunting. I don't know if I would necessarily say it's perfect for sitting up in a deer stand with. Yeah. But then it's not for sitting up in a deer stand. Well, guys have that, that article I was sharing with you begs the yeah. differ. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can most definitely do it. Um, I actually know somebody who took their scout rifle and instead of having the two to seven forward mounted optic. Yeah. Uh, one of the other optics that you can get is a one and a half to four. I think it's a Leopold. It's either a one and a half to four or a one and a half to five. I personally prefer the two to seven, but he actually went and got a one to eight. Um, and then mounted it standard on his scout rifle. Hmm. And I went, uh, nah. So the, the idea of the forward mounting then, it, it needs to be a specific scope, right? You can't use you can't yeah, use you just can't, anything off the shelf. It's it's gotta be one that's designed to be mounted forward. Yeah, you need the reason the reason you need a forward mounted optic or that specific scope you're talking about is you want a long what they call a long eye relief. Right. It's also referred to as a pistol scope. Okay. Um, I've got an extra one here. I'm going to send it to you. If you decide you're going to do a scout rifle, I'm going to send you a scope. I've got an extra one. Yeah. It's, it's not a done deal, but I've, I've read enough at this point and I want to touch on the left-handed part here in a second, but it, I've done enough to think that this is probably the one because I, I know I want it to be 308, you know, mm -hmm. commonly available, plenty of loads out there. They, they run the gambit of, things that you can get and you, know, you can find ammo everywhere. Plus, you know, hand loading is a whole nother ball game, but plenty, plenty available. And I know like six, five Creedmoor is, is becoming more and more. And that's better if you want longer distances or maybe more precision. But I just think the standard three Oh eight is probably the way to go. If I'm not going to use the old deer slaying 30, 30. I'm going to agree with you. I mean, Here's the trick with the scout rifle. 
you keep both eyes open. That's it. And does the that's the trick? Does the long eye relief lend itself to doing that? Okay. Because Very traditionally, easy. with a rifle, if you're that close to the to the optic, two eyes you're, open isn't going to work because the magnification is enormous and it's right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Long eye relief. You're at two to seven. I keep mine right at two. I might crank the magnification up to like maybe four, but I've never gone that much, that much higher. Apparently, I think it's Burris makes mm-hmm. a, makes a three X like fixed optic optic that some yep. people are saying that's the bee's knees for your scout rifle. So originally that's what Cooper said was that you wanted to go with a fixed three power. The reason why was, you know, 30, 40 years ago when this stuff was coming out, yep. you, you know, you put a variable optic on there and five shots later, it's falling apart in your hand. Can't hit anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what I was going to, so let's cover the, the requirements. Do you have, you have that handy or do you know it off the top of your head? what the requirements were for a scout rifle. Uh, so I actually have Richard Mann's book. Uh, I've read it a couple of times. I told you, if you don't want to, if you can't find a copy because it's no longer, it's no longer available. Yeah. So you're paying big money for these books. I'll, uh, I'll send you mine, but, uh, I had it dog-eared. <laughs> the original scout rifles were, uh, it was supposed to be 6.6 pounds or lighter. Okay. You had a forward mounted optic and a 308 caliber with a 19 inch or less barrel. Yeah. 19 inch or less barrel. But it's mainly the overall length, right? There was an overall length consideration sub 40 inches i think it was 39 and a half but it was sub 40 inches in length and there was something else and i can't find the dog-eared page that i had where it had all the specs lined out one of the things i read was um a crisp three pound trigger as well that might be what i'm forgetting is the three pound trigger because the idea is that it's also a tack driver like it's not just the do it all it's a lightness you know it's lethality but also that it's precise when you need to take that big game or that that bad dude then you can put it precisely where you want it you know within the what was it 3 or 400 yard requirement beyond that that's that's not what it's for yeah and that was that was the trick is that everybody goes oh it's 400 yard or it's a 308 i can reach out past 500 yards this gun isn't designed for that's a 500 not the yards. idea yeah yeah it's a, it's a it's a brush gun it's an accurate 3030 is what it is it's a brush gun that's what i'm thinking it's it's like a a more powerful more accurate and probably even more flexible 3030 like that's what they say about the 3030. It's the ideal brush gun. You know, you're shooting through the thicket of Northeast mm-hmm. PA where I grew up 
you know, you hit a couple of twigs on your way through, no big deal. You're still, you're still hitting, you know, right behind the shoulder and down they go. Yeah. You're not doing that with a six, five Creedmoor. Right. Or some of the faster rounds, like a cousin of mine hunted with a 222. That's a crazy fast round. You hit a twig with that thing and it's gone. Well, then you got 224 Valkyrie. You got the new six arc. You got. Yep. And then the 243, 270, those were still popular. I think I'm trying to remember which one my dad uses. I think he still has a 270. Or maybe it's a 243. I'd have to check it. Either. I was going to say, it's probably either a 243 or a 270. Either one of them. They're real popular. And he had, you a, go. he had a 7 millimeter something or other. He didn't like it. That ended up with my brother. But yeah. What else did you find? Oh, I found. Uh, here you go. No longer than 39.4 inches, weigh no more than 6.6 pounds, a feature a forward-mounted fixed-power scope with a magnification of no greater than 3x, iron sights affixed to the As a backup. To it in case the scope malfunctioned, and the trigger was to provide a crisp 3-pound release. Now, the, that was, the main change here, from, from what I understand in, in modern terms, is that optics have gotten better. You know, you can, some of these things, you can beat them with a stone and it's not going to bother them. I mean, look at the, how far the, the reticles have come on pistols. I mean, people chamber those off of, off of a tree or a desk for crying out loud. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. they still maintain a zero. Oh yeah. I mean, I've gone to a red dot exclusively on my carry gun. So does the three X still hold? In modern terms, or like you said, use the two to seven, one to seven, use something variable. You still shoot with two eyes open, but give yourself a little more flexibility because the optics are better. I would. Yeah. But again, it's how Colonel Cooper's no longer alive. We can't sit down and we can't go, Colonel, can you tell me how you came up with these numbers? Right. But I mean, the guy was a. He is the f- grandfather, the father, the creator, if you will, of the modern defensive pistol. He he keyed in on what needed to be done. And he had some good he had some really good thoughts. If he had a reason for it, yep. I'd kind of like to know what the reasoning was. Yeah, it's one of those things we you know, some friends of mine and I, we sit around and talk about that from time to time. It's like, you know, who would you like to sit down and have a beer with? You know, people that are around and and those that are no longer with us. You know, so it sounds like Colonel Cooper would be in that list where you would love to sit down, blow the frost off a couple with him, get into his mind on what he was thinking, and also get his take on modern you know, things that are not modern, but like things that are available today that weren't around in 1983 when he came up with this idea. Yeah. Then again, you know, he also had different scout rifles that did different things. He had Sweetheart, which was 
trying to remember. He had one that was chambered in 375. He had the 308. He had one in 243. Mm -hmm. I mean, he himself didn't stick to a 308. So now, the I guess the big question is, or I don't know if we have to go here just now, but I will, I'll ask you anyway. <laughs> Which one would we buy? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have I'm gonna ask you two questions, so you'll have at least two two rifles you can give me. Okay. So, so one is kind of the the best do it all everything specific for me, like based on what we've talked about on the show and offline. And then give me another one for money's no object. This is the best of the best. If the best is the, if the, if it was a, this is the best of the best. Cause I like to do that every, even with motorcycles. I love to do that. Like take money off the table and just tell me which one is the best. Right. And then yeah. we'll mix in. Okay. This is my budget. This is my, you know, and then we'll boil it down to, you know, something basic. So there are, I would say the Steyr Scout is a really good one. Okay. But I have some problems with the Steyr Scout. Okay. Well, first of My, all, we're talking about $1,800, give or take. I Yeah. I think they're 18, 1900 bucks. Say just under two one. grand basically. All right. <laughs> yeah. My problem with the Steyr Scout is you pick it up, you feel it cheap. It feels cheap. I didn't like the way it felt. Yes. Okay. It feels very lightweight. Now it does have some really cool features. And one of those being that the foregrip, you push the button and the foregrip comes down into a bipod. Oh, and it has a spare. Yeah, that's nice. And it has a spare. It has a spare magazine spot in the stock. That's cool. So you can carry a second mag in the stock. I like that. Well, That's kind of cool. Here's the thing I didn't realize until I just looked at this site. So this was an article. I'll put this in the the show notes. It was a, a Field and Stream article from this year. Best Scout Rifles of 2023. The Steyr is their best overall pick, but obviously it's the highest price. But I didn't realize you can get it in 6.5 Creedmoor, 308, 5.6 by 45, right? AR-15 mm -hmm. round, 223 Remington, also probably an AR round, depending on which barrel you have, and then 308, but it's also available in a 22, <laughs> 22 long rifle <laughs> for okay, $500. That, <laughs> that actually has my attention. Isn't that cool? I. I would get that in 22, but that's just because I'm weird and I like, you know, weird little 22s. No, I, I earmarked this. I'm going to put it in the chat here for you now. It's $560 as a 22 and it's a 10 round, a 10 round with a, is that a 20 inch barrel? Can't be. Oh, it is. It's a threaded 20 inch barrel. The heck? Oh yeah, the fact that it's threaded. See now, this one does not have the. This one does not come down into the bipod. No, it's 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 a different uh, foregrip for sure. Yeah, seven point three cool. pounds. Yeah, isn't that neat? 
that is that's very neat and in a 22 i thought that was pretty wild because that's fun because i'm looking at the list i'm going okay 1899 1760 1899 and i'm like 500 what's this one yeah Sometimes, but in my next suggestion, it's not, it just requires a little bit more field work. And that is a left-hand gun sight scout by Ruger. Uh-huh. It's got a solid feel to it. Yep. I, I really do. I just like the Ruger. If I was going to say, you know what? You got your choice of 1800 bucks for the Steyr. Right. Or what are they seven, $800 now for the, I think I found one for you that even had a, it had a cool paint job and it was the whole nine yards. It was on gum broker. If you're, talking, it to you. if you're talking new though, they're still 1100, 1200 retail. Oh yeah. So I probably shouldn't tell you that I paid less than 500 for mine. Okay. Well, let me tell I want the You <laughs> <I> suck. <laughs> oh, I need another beer. The um I want the 16-inch barrel and the synthetic stock because it's 6.3 pounds if you do it that way. Mm-hmm. If you get the 18-inch barrel, you know, slightly better ballistics and all that that goes with the longer barrel, it's over seven pounds. Yeah, but you make up for the ballistics with the suppressor. True. True. That's an interesting oddity, is it not? That's a conversation for a whole nother night because we could spend oh, yeah. two, three hours on suppressors and how it affects ballistics. And Yeah, we got to have a suppressor show or, or several. Yeah. Oh, man. So I, I like the Ruger Gunsight Scout. You told me about this probably a year ago, and I've... I keep kind of coming back to it and looking for them. And, and once I found that they had them in left-hand action, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. Now this is, now this is my gun, right? But here's my dilemma. Yeah. Here's my dilemma. So. Okay. How do I want to put this? Other people that may want to use this rifle besides me are not left-handed are not left-handed okay and having to pick up another rifle for whatever reason chances are it's not going to be left-handed correct right so do you do i bother and i have the same dilemma with pistols you know do i switch the mag release to the other side so that i can use my thumb Right. Or do I just leave it thinking I should just operate it the way they come? Because if you happen upon one, that's how it's going to be configured. Most likely if I have to okay. use someone else's right. Or if someone else wants to use mine, now it's weird for them. Like all these things I want to consider, how much do I want to make it for me versus just get a right-handed one and use it the way I always have, where you just, I just reach up over my left hand and, run the action and get back to it. 
It's I, not an easy answer, right? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> because you look at it, on one hand, you're like, okay, there is a left-handed version available. That's awesome. But then immediately I start thinking, but wait a minute, now I'm going to have like one of one. Mm-hmm. You know, resale and again, you know, picking up other people's, you know, if I go to the range and I'm shooting with other people, of course I'm going to try their stuff. Should I just use the right-handed? Here's what I can tell you about what I know about the scout rifle. The scout rifle is not the, it's not the best rifle. It's not. If you wanted the best rifle, you would get like, it wouldn't be a scout rifle configuration. Right. The the article you sent me, they made mention of this, that when you're shooting a scout rifle, the scout rifle is its own entity. It's, It's something different. It's like the difference between shooting an AK and an AR. Right. You can't compare the two because the two aren't even the same. Yeah. Like the, the only thing they have in common is they're both magazine fed semi-automatic rifles. Right. Right. That's it. That's really up to you. Me personally, I would say get your own scout rifle because you're not going to get rid of it. That's kind of where I'm leaning is go with Ruger because they have the left-handed model. It's not the most expensive, but it's reliable and it has great aftermarket support. Let's not forget that. It's a tank. Yeah. They're, they're quite literally are tanks. You know, there, there's nothing you can pick mine up. I really wish you lived closer because I just go pick you up tomorrow and just go, all right, we're going to the range. Let's go try this one out. You're going to shoot this and then you can go put in an order for one and buy one somewhere. But they really are. It's a, it really is. It's a different kind of, it's a different kind of shooting. And I think once you shot one, you'd be like, all right, I get it. If I wanted to shoot dimes at a hundred yards, I'd shoot a 6.5 Creedmoor with a 26-inch barrel that weighed, you know, 14 pounds. Yeah. I'd be individually weighing each bullet just to make sure they were all the same. That's not what this is. You'd use brass that was previously fired out of the chamber so that you know it lines up. and. Yep. Yeah, all that stuff. I get it. That's not what this is. This is a, hey, you know what? I need to keep a rifle in the back of my truck in case something goes sideways. Like I need to shoot a pig out here on the back corner of the ranch. Yep. They really are. All right. I'm going to hit you with one more thing on the price. All right. My my question was fairly loaded because I had an answer in mind. <laughs> okay. Are you familiar with Wilson Combat's Nula? No, but I'm very familiar with Wilson Combat. 
It's brand new. I'm going to hold the price till the end. But okay. their next generation ultralight arms, that's where the NULA comes from, <clears throat> has a one MOA guarantee and it weighs between four and five pounds without a scope. Without a scope. Without a scope. And what caliber? Uh, you have options. So if you get a 308 and a 20 inch barrel, it weighs five pounds, four ounces. And it has an overall length of, wait for it, 39 and three quarters. <laughs> okay. So Bill Wilson has come up with something that's a semi. I'm, this is bolt action. This is bolt action. Oh, it's a bolt action? A bolt gun, my man. Has a carbon fiber stock. Has a Timony Hunter trigger between 2.75 and 3.25 pounds. Has 8 to 40 uh, scope screws. Let's see. Aluminum hinge four plate. <laughs> Available calibers. You ready? Yep. 243 Winchester, 20 and 22 inch barrels. 6.5 Creedmoor, 20 and 22. 7mm 08 Remington, 16 and 20. 308 Winchester, 16 and a quarter and 20. With two different twists. And you can get a 358 Winchester and 6 and a quarter and 20 inch. Ready for the price? Yeah, hit me with the price. Thirty-two ninety-five. I figured it had to be over twenty-five hundred bucks. So yeah, if price is no object, uh, then there'll be a nula in the safe. That's crazy. Anyway, so the way the way I found this is, I think I've sent you these links before. Uh, Ron Spomer on YouTube. Have I sent you his mm-hmm. stuff before? The outdoor guy. Yeah. He recently did a like a 308 week and he went through all the ones that are out there and all the lightweight ones and whatever. And he was trying to come up with like the best 308 hunting rifle. And if money was no object, that's what he settled on, the Nula. But he didn't shoot it the best. He actually shot the cheap Ruger American or something. It's like a $400 rifle. <laughs> he shot that one the best. I've got one of those in my safe that's in uh six five Creedmoor. Maybe not the Ambruger American, but you know what I'm talking about. You know, synthetic stock. Oh yeah, it's it's either the Ruger American or the Ruger um What's the other uh one? Predator. It's probably the American. But yeah, that was that was a, a pretty funny series. And I had not heard about these until I saw that video. And then I went looking at it and I'm like, yeah, that's pretty sweet. A very light left-handed though. No, that's the only thing. See, now we're back to what can you get in left-handed? They might make one for me. I might might have to come up with six grand though. I mean, if money's no object, I'm sure you could even look at a Christensen Arms. Ooh, right. I've seen some of those. Oof. Yeah, Wilson Combat makes some cool stuff. I've got their. I have. 
I've got the grip module on my 365. That's pretty sweet. I know you don't like it, but I like it. I've got I've got one of Bill Wilson's CQBs in my gun safe. See, there you go. My problem is is that it's a thirty five hundred dollar nineteen eleven, and I really don't want to carry it, right? <laughs> because it's a thirty five hundred dollar nineteen eleven, and I'm looking at it in my safe, going, "It's thirty five hundred dollar nineteen eleven. Why aren't you carrying it?" Right. Because it's a thirty five hundred nineteen eleven. And yeah, I go back and forth on that. All right, but yeah, I I really think you would. So I need to go try the Ruger. I think that's where we're at. I got to find one and yeah, try it. Uh, that's what I would suggest is finding one, seeing if you can try it. And if you can't, you know, I'm just a plane ride away. Just a plane ride away. Go shoot some pigs. That's what we got to do. Well, I think I still want to do Coda. Like, and we mentioned that at the top of the show, like Bryce and I really want to see GP in person, MotoGP that is. And Coda is the okay. only opportunity in the U S to do it. So unless we're going to go to Europe or some other country, it's not yeah. going to happen. That's true. All right. You're yawning. I need another beer. Anything else on the hunting rifle? So you're, you're, I guess your final recommendation is Ruger Gunsight Scout for the new hunting rifle. And that's kind of my recommendation. Do it all. But yeah, it's, you know, they always talked about the sport utility vehicle being the one you could do it all. It didn't do everything great, but it did it all. Yep. It's kind of like the KLR 650. Oh, you can do everything with a KLR. You can. You can do everything with a KLR650. You can go across the United States. You can go off-road. You can do everything with a KLR650. What will it not do? A hundred? I would say you can't jump it, but you can at least once. At least once. <laughs> you might not be able to get it up to a hundred mile an hour. I'll do a hundred. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, see? There you go. <laughs> I mean, what was his name? It, it wasn't Grant Johnson. Maybe it was Grant Johnson. I mean, there's been numerous people that have taken him around the world. Yeah, it's a fantastic bike. And I'm, I'm kind of the other way nowadays where that was my first bike. I had the KLR 650, but now I kind of want, I kind of want the specialized bike for everything. So I had the dedicated track bikes, you know, and had the cruiser and the street bike. And now I have full motocross bike for off-road. Uh-huh. So the scout rifle is kind of a return to KLR days, you know, a rifle that well, can do it all. It can do it all. Does it do it all perfectly? No. But it, will it do everything? But it will do the task. Yes. But it will get your task done. That's kind of how I look at it. All right. Well, I think we'll end it there for this time. And like I said, we've got Brother Bacon coming up on the next episode. We'll be talking about his foray into trials bikes, which is pretty cool. And then hopefully we have the show with Alan, Sully, and Bryce and myself to cover track day riding, my accident, 
our transition to dirt, Alan's accident. And <laughs> it's kind of a, we did a series in the past about the next generation, like raising the next generation of riders. That's, it's kind of a continuation of that because Bryce is all in, you know, Sully's all in. They're, they're the next generation of riders once, once we're done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cool. most definitely. All right. Anything else you got coming up? Want to plug anything? Mm-hmm. Any reminders? Nope. Toys yeah, for tots. I do actually have something. Toys for Tots. Go look in your own areas. Go buy a toy. Go buy a couple of toys. Go stick them in a Toys for Tot thing. Make a kid smile for Christmas. I second that. Yeah, do that. Don't send us any money. Buy a toy. Give it to a kid. That's right. Better idea. All right. Thank you, sir. Well, with that, I think we'll put the kickstands up. I'm going to go find another beer and a fantastic evening. You do the same. for listening please consider supporting the show find more details at loudpipes.net forward slash donate